Now, we hear, we hear a fair bit about the, the absence of, of many professional people in, in regional Australia. Trying to find a GP in a small town, that can be a headache. And much has been done over the years to attempt to remedy this uh, from, from planners, governments, of, at every level, tinkering with policy to lure people away from the cities. Mixed success, you would have to say. Uh, there's one industry that in this conversation really gets a mention, um, but it is one that is typically spread very thin uh, in regional Australia, and that is architecture. There's a firm, however, uh, that's, that's bucking this trend, uh, and, it, and it's all in the name. It's, it does what it says on the tin. It's the Regional Design Service. Uh, they are based out of Corowa on the, the Victoria-New South Wales border, uh, which is where we find co-founder Philip Nielsen. Philip, hello. Hi, how are you going? Corowa, a, a beautiful part of the world. It sure is. And, um, you know, the last place I actually thought I'd be practising as an architect. <laughs> well, t- tell us that story because uh, you you once practised in Melbourne, which is a more accustomed location for someone in your profession. Yeah, yeah. I guess, you know, it's a really long story. Um, so, founded the practice with my partner, Aaron, who was actually born in Corowa. So, that's the immediate link to why Corowa. But um, I guess throughout my career, I'd worked in varying practices of different sizes and, you know, over that time had opportunities to work on regional projects. But as a lead designer, I never visited those communities uh, or had an opportunity to really understand place. So I was kind of just designing something that I thought might be right for the region uh, or that community without any real knowledge or understanding. So we kind of had a question and an opportunity arose for a potential project. And that's how it all began. It was, you know, let's go out there and, and, and try and see if we can work on delivering better. That's such an interesting observation because it's, it's, it's clear that you can't just walk into a place with a set of ideas from somewhere else that you'd need to adapt. I mean, how, how do you go about refining that, that sensibility? Well, I guess, um, you know, the normal process is that a design team turns up to do a project in a regional area and there's been a social media post put online for the community to come along and for an hour and talk about colour or form or place and that that's what normally happens but I guess what we've done by um, coming out here is we've we've really set out in the early days to just talk to people and um, break down what they think design and architecture is and give them um, the ability to understand that they do know what design and architecture is mm. and it was simple things like just having some you know going to community meetings and talking about, you know, we're not here to sell you a big giant building. We're just here to use design to help problem solve and work out how we can spend money better, how you can achieve more, um, and that you actually can engage in a conversation about design. My, my name's Norman Foster. I'm here to help you with your community centre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of global architects who um, talk about, you know, the regions and... Um, but they're all based in major European or American cities. And it's like, you know, I heard a talk a few years ago where they said, oh, Australia's really flat, so we can build all these data centres out there. Isn't it great? Um, 
and that was their solution for the regions. That, that's just so far from the reality of um, regional people and, you know, agricultural land and all this mm. stuff. Like, just so opposed to what um, regional life is in Australia. Um, but that was their take, you know, so flat. <laughs> Well, which isn't quite true of your part of the world. However, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, this is—is is that what is that the solution? <laughs> there's a really interesting two-way street here, of course. That as much as uh, professions like architecture are, are, are rarities uh, in in the regions, so too the people in the regions have not much experience of that professional input. I mean, what, 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 were the, what were the perceptions of the, the notion of architecture that you encountered when you first started dipping into community um, in your work? I guess in the initial instance, um, a lot of people just thought we were flying in and flying out, um, that we just set up a little office for a few months to do one project and then disappear. You know, I, th- I think, you know, the perceptions of architects uh, is really linked to what people think architects were in the 80s and 90s, um, where it was their ego, their design style, their project, and you were just paying them and you got what you were given. Um, and that still carries through today with a lot of community people uh, in the regions. And there was a fear that all we were going to do was cost them more money and um, nothing would be realistic. And and it was, you know, also based on the fact that projects had been delivered by city architects and um, they were coming to us and saying, this building doesn't work for us. You know, it, it's not what we wanted. It's not what we needed. We don't know how to use it. We don't know how to look after it. So can you come and help us fix it? So that was really the first year we were just confronted with this is all wrong um, and what can we do? That must have been very useful for you. I mean, seeing the mistakes of others is a good indication of, of how to go about things better yourself. Yeah, and look, it's not to blame those architects from the city. Like, they did nothing wrong. It is actually the process. Um, so the process typically out here is that a regional community group decide we want to do a project. They write grant applications. They do all the scoping. They get awarded the grant application and then at that point because it's on public land they kind of step aside and local council takes over and then the grants only got 24 months to be delivered so the local council are like up against it time-wise the community probably didn't ask for enough money so there's not enough to do what they wanted because they didn't know what needed to be costed and then the design team gets engaged they've probably only got three months to design it so it's just it's a race against the clock. And then, you know, at the end of the day, the building gets built, it meets the grant deadline, it meets the grant acquittal requirements, but it doesn't meet the community's need. Mm. And so then they get the keys and you know, what do they what do they do? Will they start writing more grants to fix the building and actually try and do what they initially wanted? And then the cycle starts again. So we just keep in this loop of money being spent, projects getting delivered but nothing really being fit for purpose. I mean, it sounds like as much as there is work around just, just basic uh, community sort of outreach, there's work to be done with, with local government as well and then educating local government about what you might offer specifically yeah. in a place. And, and educating each other that there's a role to play for community and local government. Like, you know, 
local governments sometimes see community as um, the issue, like, oh, they keep getting these grants, but they're not scoped properly, they can't be delivered, now we've got to go and do all this work. But then the community going, well, council doesn't help us in the scoping. So, you know, it's just this constant battle between them. We've got to really work on how we fix that because, you know, that, I see that as one of the biggest issues of um, delivering better um, in the regions. Is, is there a project that you've, you've completed recently that, that's made you think, yeah, yeah, this is it. This is, this is what we're about. We're, we're nailing this now. Well, there's, there's two. There's an early one, which was a small um, community master plan that we did for a town of 170 people um, called Plan Rand. And that one we did pro bono and we worked with, you know, a really passionate um, group of people. And all we did was actually just gather up all the grants that they had applied for over the years that they'd been unsuccessful for, but they'd put, you know, in the bottom drawer and forget about it because they didn't get it and tied it all together. You know, we need, you know, they needed this project because it led to this bigger project. Um, and, you know, after we finished that, we worked directly with the community, no council input really, um, and no other real government input. But within three months of them, uh, you know, endorsing the plan as a community, they received nearly $300,000 worth of grant funding from the Australian government as part of drought recovery to deliver a lot of the projects that were included in the master plan because people could see that each little thing was connected. So the need for a $10,000 picnic bench and um, shelter was actually going to help with their tourism of grey nomads travelling in caravans and, you know, the need for a dump point um, or fixing some landscaping of railway yards as a fire risk, you know, how do we repair it? So all these little things were all important, but they're also small that no one could take them seriously. So that was, you know, one project that, you know, has been a real success and two years on now the community is still delivering these little pieces of the bigger puzzle. What a tremendously exciting and transformative thing to be involved in though and and it goes it goes so much to this sort of modern notion of architectural practice, you know, getting away from that edifice complex of the of the 90s and, and previously, this holistic sense of what architecture can, can offer community. Yeah. Like, you know, that's why our names aren't on the door. Um, we really wanted to set up a practice that was about community, was about the, the work that we do. Um, even our studio, it's, it's got capacity to have events. We've had gallery, ex we've had exhibitions um, as a gallery space. We invite community groups to have their events or meetings in the space. Um, you know, we, we, we designed it really to be a living room for the community. So I guess, you know, we're, we're trying to break down the barrier between the profession um, and community and really, I guess, just enable them and empower them to understand they have the capacity. There must be some constraints, some sort of limiting elements around <laughs> a, a regional architectural practice, I imagine. Uh, there's many, there's you know, <laughs> shortages of builders, particularly now post-COVID um, and now with you know, flooding crises and all this. The budgets are, are really complex. Um, you know, the project budgets are just so low, so underfunded and you, know, you really have to make magic happen um, with very little. And even our, you know, our service fees are just you know, ridiculous. We do a lot of work pro bono just because we, just, you know, it's the only way to actually 
um, try and show people what's possible. And, you know, the Plan RAN project, we did our service pro bono, but the community then went on after seeing the value of us and professionally employed um, a landscape architect to design some parks in their town. So, you know, we've, we've done a bit of the groundwork and now others are, you know, seeing the, the benefit of that. Excitingly, you're about to speak at London's Design Museum as part of a weekend focusing on Australian architecture. What's what, what's in your what's in your speech? What are you going to What are you going to tell that meeting? Well, I'm actually in a panel discussion, and it's um, with uh, moderated by Cameron Brune uh, with two other uh, leading Australian architects who work in the regions. Um, I guess you know we're looking. F- forward to having a conversation about what it's what it's really like um uh, many people overseas have an idea of what they think australian architecture is and that's you know largely um based on the amazing work of glenn Merkett or sean godsell you know this this kind of um vernacular um australian style um so we're going to be having a conversation about you know how much of that is the reality and and how much isn't, um, you know, how much of it is, you know, like Priscilla, Queen of the Desert or Muriel's Wedding? You know, what's the reality of it um, and, and the context we really work in? Wonderful opportunity. And, and I, I'm sure you're going to disabuse uh, the audience there of this notion that it's it's a place of great flatness in which <laughs> only only ornamented sheds are constructed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Philip, thank you. Um Philip Nielsen, he's an architect, uh, founder of the Regional Design Service, uh, and you will find you will find them in Korowa, on, on the Murray River, in, uh, in its in its more easterly stretches on the, on the New South Wales Victorian border. And that that panel at the London Design Museum, a bumper weekend there, focusing on Australian architecture. So if if you're in town, if you happen to be passing. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.